All right. Good morning, church family. You guys doing good today? Yeah. Hey, how many guys appreciate our worship team? Appreciate them. And just want to let you know God's been moving in that team, man. It's so amazing. We appreciate Ethan, his leadership, and how he leads those guys. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm not thankful for is mosquitoes. Like, I, I really believe hell is manifesting through these demonic mosquitoes. Like I'm seeing mosquitoes that are bigger than any I've look, I've been all over the world. All right. I've seen some mosquitoes. I have never seen mosquitoes as big as some of the mosquitoes that I've been seeing. So I'm convinced it's because of sin. Uh, so please repent whoever you are. So goodness. I'm just joking. It may not be because of sin. It's just because the weather here in Arkansas is drunk and needs to go home. Because, goodness, it is October. Come on. It's not supposed to be 90 degrees anymore. We are wrapping this up. Church signs. Hey, I, I just wanted to mention real quick, you know, how many of you guys just sense the presence of God here this morning in worship? And, but, and here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. Some of y'all, some of y'all you don't know what you sense. Um, because some of that's just... It, you didn't grow up around church. You didn't grow up in a church that talked about the presence of God. And, and I get that. I get that. I was a church mutt growing up. I went to all kinds of different churches. And, uh, and, and in some churches, man, they, it was like they hyper-spiritualized everything. Like it was just everybody just freaking people out like crazy. Freaked me out. Uh, and then there were other churches I went to where it was so staunch so proper, you didn't do anything in worship. And, and I don't, I, I think that we have different churches with different flavors because people need to meet with God in different ways. And I'm not saying that either one of those is wrong unless it is turning other people off towards God. But I just want you to know that as a church, we have people that worship God in a lot of different ways around here because we have people that have come from a lot of different church backgrounds. And, and this is what I know for sure. The presence of God shows up in a place where people give him their hearts. And so we, we, what we encourage people to do is, look, express yourself in worship however you feel like the Lord is leading you as long as it's not drawing attention to you because worship's not about you. Worship is about bringing something of worth to him. That's what the word worship means. But I'm thankful that we have a church where we have so many. I was just, even as we were worshiping, I was thinking about people I've met, even this morning, that have come from so many different church backgrounds. And I'm thankful that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I'm thankful where the spirit of the Lord is, people from all different kinds of church backgrounds can come into one place and worship one God. Amen? You guys thankful for that? So this morning, yeah, yeah. Wrapping up this church sign series. What we've been doing through this series is we've been looking at these church signs. A lot of us grew up in church. How many grew up in a church that had a church marquee? How many grew up in a church that had a church sign out front? Okay. And, uh, and some of the messages and, and some of the misconceptions that some of those messages can send to people, 
depending on their background. And a lot of times, I mean, the people mean well. These church signs mean well. They want to draw attention to church to try to get people to come into church. I think it's a good idea to try to get people into church for sure. But I do believe that sometimes these messages, they're just outright bad, just cheesy. Uh, Sometimes they can turn people off. And so we've been looking at some examples of some of those. Let's look at a couple that we found this week that I found. Does life stink? We have a pew for you. Okay, so things like that. Like that's just, I don't know about y'all, but I'm thankful we don't have pews. Uh, Just, you know, just because honestly, I want, if you ever fall asleep in church, you know how bad it hurts when you fall asleep in church and you hit your head on the back of that pew. Like those things are rough on you, right? Uh, Here's another one we found. Life without God is like an unsharpened pencil, no point. Okay, we're just going to move on from that one. Try our new pumpkin spice sermons. Okay, not really. But stop in. We don't bite. Okay. It's appropriate for fall if we are really experiencing fall. God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. Now, Now I can get behind that one. Come on now. Come on now. I like it. Okay. Life is cray-cray. Jesus is the way-way. Okay. Do we have any more? Today's. Sunscreen prevents sin burn. Now, I know this is kind of cheesy, but this is what I want to talk about behind this because one of the misconceptions that happens around becoming a Christian is people think, when I become a Christian... All my struggle with sin is just going to be gone. Like, I'm never going to struggle with temptation ever again. I'm never going to have issues because as soon as... Now, there is so much power in the name of Jesus. And he redeems. But sanctification is a process and it's something that we all have to own. And it's something that we have to be intentional about. And God gives us supernatural protection, but he also gives us practical steps that if we want to live in a place where we don't experience the burn of sin, we've got to walk out some practical things that he's given us. God's given us the Holy Spirit. God's given us his word. He's also given us the body of Christ. And those things are meant to work together to help us to walk out a righteous life to walk out our process of sanctification. And this has to be in every one of our lives. So I want you to flip over to 2 Timothy 2. If you've got your Bibles, Bible apps, I guess you don't really flip over in a Bible app. You can click over though. Click over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever run away from something? Have you ever been startled, frightened by something and ran away instinctively. Like anybody ever been chased by the neighborhood dog at one point or another growing up? Like Sandlot type stuff, right? Uh, Anybody ever uh, run away from cars with flashing lights on the top of it? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'd love to hear the story at some point. Has anybody ever had to escape from something? like an impending danger that you had to escape from something. Uh, Probably the most scary experience that I've ever had trying to flee away from something happened on a missions trip back in 2001. I was in southern Nepal, northern India, 
and we were taking a day to just kind of relax. We've been on the mission field for six weeks, and we were just kind of taking an off day. And we went on this jungle safari, okay? But the cool thing about this jungle safari is we rode elephants. So it's straight up Indiana Jones. And, and, and so here we are. We're going through this very dense, thick jungle, uh, and we're looking for other animals and creatures. And, I mean, we saw a, a bunch of really cool stuff. But as we're coming through this, there was this opening, and in this little opening was an adult mama rhinoceros and its baby. And we're like, that's cool. And so we got a little closer, but what we didn't realize because of how dense the jungle was around this clearing is that the other two elephants that were in our group with other people from our team on those elephants were coming around the other side of this mama and her baby. So now this mama rhinoceros feels threatened and decides that it's going to charge the elephant that I'm on. (laughs) And so at first I wasn't scared until the guy driving the elephant had a look of utter terror and started screaming things in Nepalese that I would assume were cursings of some sort. And what kind of emphasized the fear was what the elephant did. Because the elephant, without any direction from the driver, spun around. And we are in thick jungle. As this elephant spun around, it knocked down four trees that were probably six inches in diameter. Just broke them in half as it was tearing. So we are clearing jungle. I'm on the back of this elephant, and this elephant begins to run. Elephants don't run smooth. And so... So we're jostling around. On the, I'm on the back. And I can see this mama elephant coming after us. And I did what any normal person would do. I tried to take pictures. <laughs> but, but this is right before digital cameras became popular, right? So I had the Advantix camera. And I had that thing on panoramic and I just started shooting, clicking and shooting as fast as I could as we were running away from this thing. This rhinoceros chased us probably a couple hundred yards before it finally gave up. And it was probably one of the scarier things that I've ever experienced in my life. The, the sad part about this whole story is when I got back and developed the film... Remember when you had to develop film so you weren't sure what you got? All I got was about five or six shots of this elephant's butt. (laughs) Could not hold it steady, so I just got a a big, hairy elephant booty. Panoramic. That's what I got. So, to this day, I have no real proof of this story. People are like, where are the pictures? And I show them the pictures and they're like, what is that? I'm like, that's the elephant's butt. (laughs) But in one of the pictures in the very corner, you can see what appears to be a very angry rhinoceros eyeball (laughs) glaring at you. 
but people still don't believe me. But that was the most scary thing that I've ever had to run away from in my life. And I couldn't run. I was strapped to the elephant. So I was depending on this elephant to get me away. But most of the time when it comes to the things that we are trying to flee from, it is on us. We get to decide. And in this scripture, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, he wrote these two letters to this kid that he's mentoring, Timothy. And these are two of the most personal letters that Paul wrote in all of in all of his letters and all of his writings, because he's trying to set, this is towards the end of, of Paul's life. And he's trying to set Timothy up for success. So he's giving him these last instructions of Christian living of, of what it's going to take for him to be the man that God has called him to be. And this is what it says in verse 22 of chapter two, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This word flee, it comes, it's the word escape. It means to seek safety. It's where the English word refuge, or sorry, fugitive comes from. Now, a fugitive is someone that's on the run. Okay, one of the greatest movies of all time. Come on, Harrison Ford, The Fugitive. One of the best ones ever. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. But when a fugitive, when there's a person that is fleeing as a fugitive, you don't care where you're going. You're just trying to get away. There's a difference between running and fleeing, okay? And you may know someone that runs without anyone chasing them, and you're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but when you're fleeing, man, it's on a different level. Like, you, are, 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 you get this crazy look in your eye, and you will do anything to get away. You're running. A fugitive, man, a fugitive will jump over any fence, step on any cat or pet, or, or run on any rooftop, run through glass doors if they have to. A fugitive will do anything to try to get away. Anybody ever watched Cops before? Okay, come on. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? And you watch those guys, when they're doing the helicopter thing, those guys go absolutely nuts trying to get away from the authorities. They will do anything to run, to get away, to escape. In all of us, there's this psychological thing that happens. Science tells us it's called fight or flight. And what happens in this is there's a response that's happening. It's like genetic wisdom kicks in to try to get you away from dangerous situations. When there's a threat that's perceived, that triggers this area of your brain called the hypothalamus. And in the hypothalamus, there's this sympathetic nervous system an adrenal cortical system and stress hormones are released from these places into your body. Your pupils dilate, your heart automatically beats harder and breathing becomes rapid. The thyroid gland automatically stimulates metabolism. Larger muscle groups receive more oxygenated blood and your body is ready to fight for your life or flee for your life. Then your mind automatically makes the subconscious decision this intuitive decision about what you're going to do next. Now, the key is this is automatic, meaning you're not calculating the decision. The way that you've conditioned yourself is already predetermined probably what you're going to do in that moment. So if you're walking through the woods up in Wyoming or Montana and you encounter a grizzly bear, holy moly, there's a grizzly bear. 
you're going to make one of two decisions. You're either going to make the decision that you're going to fight the grizzly bear or you're going to run for your life. Now, everyone that says, I'm going to fight that grizzly, you're also the person that has said probably multiple times over the course of your life, hold my beer. (laughs) And watch this. And you're one of the reasons why healthcare costs are so high. Insurance premiums keep increasing. Because you ain't going to win that fight. And I'm not saying running for your life is going to do any good either. But you have a better chance. But this is the natural side of who we are. But it's a natural side that is conditioned. So what about the spiritual side of who you are? And have you conditioned the spiritual side of who you are to know when it is time to flee? When it is time to get away from something that is in your life that you know is not of God. The Apostle Paul, he's this legend of the faith, a man of God. And he's writing this book to this, this letter to this young man. And he's saying, look, at one point or another, you're going to come to a place when you need to flee the evil desires of your youth. Run away. Flee for your life. Now, there's plenty of times in the Bible and even the letters that Paul wrote where he said things like, stand firm, endure, resist the enemy, put on the full armor of God. You're more than a conqueror. But in this, right here, he's saying, just flee. Run. This is run for your lifetime. Get away. Do what it takes. Jump the fence. Run on top of rooftops. Get away. Get away. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Flee from desires you can't fight. You need to flee from desires that you can't fight. Look, we we all have the same instinct in our lives as Christ followers. We need to know when it's time to flee. We know that God has a plan for our life, right? Like, I hope that you know that. But maybe that's why you're here this morning, because God wants to reinforce and let you know that he has a plan for your life. And that is amazing news. And I want you to know that God's plan for your life, if you walk with him, will always triumph. But you also have to know this. You have an enemy. And he hates you. And the devil is not just flying by the seat of his pants. He's got a plan too. He's got a plan too. And he's been working on that plan for your life since you were born. He's working on it. And his plan is ultimately to steal influence from you, to make you ineffective, to wound you, to get you offended, to get you deceived, to get you addicted, to get you away from the plan of God. If you become a Christian, don't believe that he's just, well, I'm just done. Can't do anything now. If he can't keep you from becoming a Christian, he just wants to make sure that you're an ineffective Christian once you do get saved. That's his plan. He's just, he's working on that. He's very focused on it. And all of us have faced temptation and sin. So today, the burden on my heart is there are some of you that are in the middle of that place. And I feel like the Spirit of God, like this urgency, you need to know that it, you need to flee. You need to flee at any cost, 
at any cost. You turning and running out of the situation you're in may lay some trees down. It may break some glass. It may cause some different things to break around you. But if you don't get away, the enemy's plan could succeed for your life. And I believe that today could be God saying to you in the clearest way possible, you need to flee. But for some of you, this is preventative. For some of you, there's going to come a time. It's not if, it's just when. There's going to come a time you're going to be drawn into a situation, a circumstance, a, a person's life, something around you that the enemy is directly setting up for you to fail. One of the things I appreciate Pastor Rick, he tells us as campus pastors all the time, he tells us, look, if some attractive lady starts hitting on you and flirting with you, it's not because you're good looking. It's the devil. And you just need to know that. He's just really good at that kind of encouragement in our lives, you know. <laughs> but, I, but I believe that. Like, look, the enemy is trying to set you up. And he's going to try to set you up. So I want to talk about three flight responses. Okay, this is not fight. This is flight. And this is difficult, especially for men, because we're so stinking stubborn. And we're stupid enough sometimes to think we're strong enough to withstand anything that we could face, be faced with. I'm sorry. I could, sit, I could stand up here all day long and read stats. I mean, that just prove that that is a stupid way to live. To think that you, that you can't be susceptible. To think that you're strong enough. Like the, the godliest people I know... I want you to think, off the top of your head, the godless people that have ever lived, I promise you in the top five is Billy Graham. But the reason why Billy Graham was so godly is because he wasn't stupid enough to assume that he was too godly not to fall into sin. And when he would go into a hotel, he would have people sweep his room, like look under beds and stuff to make sure that somebody wasn't waiting in there for everyone to leave. He would never, ever meet with a woman behind closed doors. He was always out in the open where people could see him. I think it's a wise way for us to consider this. Three flight responses. When people tempt you. When people tempt you. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13.20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. There are some people that are in your life that will try to tempt you to become something that God never created you to be. I mean, they'll, they'll do everything to cause you to fall into an identity crisis. And I'm not saying that these people are bad or stupid or even that these people are going to hell. But the truth is this. Friends will never leave you the same. Friends will always change you. And they will either make you better or they will make you worse. If you want to know where you're going to be in five years, I can tell you. Just show me who your friends are. I'll tell you exactly where you're going to be. Because the company we keep influences us. It will change you, either for the better or for the worse. In my life, when I was growing up, I've already shared a little bit of my testimony. If you haven't heard it, I went to several different high schools growing up. 
And I saw this process, man. There were schools that I was in where I had people, they, they were godly people. And it helped me. It helped me. I mean, we're still high school students. These weren't perfect people. These weren't perfect Christians. I honestly wouldn't hang out around Christians that thought that they were perfect. I was driven away from those people. But these are just people that I, they said they love God. And it helped me. But I was also in schools where I had friends that would influence me to do things that I still regret. That I still know had a negative impact by the grace of God is a part of my testimony, something that I can look to, His grace, His strength to redeem. But I've seen how people can so easily influence. So some of you have friends that are just really, really negative. They're Christians, they just don't have a lot of the fruit of the Spirit. And they're just causing you to be more and more negative, dragging you down. Some of you, you you just have friends that aren't very ethical. They don't treat people right. They try to use people, manipulate people for their own personal benefit. They lie. Before long, you'll start to become like them. It'll happen. You might have some teenagers or college students or or young adults in this place, and and you know that there's people around you. Your friends that are trying to get you to do something that you know is not wise. But maybe there's a guy or a girl at work and the temptation is to flirt or talk a little too much. You know, I've, I've met with a lot of people that have committed adultery. And there has never been an instance that I have found where someone told me this story. Well, I just woke up one morning and decided I wanted to have an affair. And so that day I booked a hotel room at my lunch period and I found this person and we went and had an affair. I've never heard that story like that. It always starts small. It always starts with a look, with a thought, and then a word, and then a touch. And then it's just a full blown out affair but it's a process there's a slow fade that happens and so what I would suggest is if you even see the potential of something flee like I I would suggest you make it almost awkward like you just sense something on this person that you can tell this this is not going to be good for me I can tell. And, and you literally turn and walk the other way when you see them. Is it better to be awkward than have your life destroyed? I would suggest it's way better to be awkward. In Cody and I's lives, we made, a, we made a decision a long time ago, even before we got married. We set boundaries. We set boundaries in our own dating relationship. Before we were engaged, before we were married, we set boundaries. And we, we encouraged people to do this that aren't married yet, that we weren't going to be alone together. But then after we got married, we were never going to be alone with the opposite sex. Like ever. And I'm telling you, this is not easy always to do. I mean, it, it's really inconvenient sometimes. 
You know, like I've been traveling before. I get into a ho- or an airport real late or I miss a flight, so I got to go stay at a hotel for the night. And I go out to get on the, sh- the shuttle that's going to take me to the hotel, and it's a woman driver. I'm like, and I'm like exhausted, but I'll just be like, I need a man. And I won't even get on that thing. And they'll look at me like, okay. But I'm just not going to go there. I, I, we, I set boundaries. We set boundaries. We have people that help us with our kids. Young ladies that help us with our kids. So, much, so they may be at the house, in the house, with my kids. But maybe Cody isn't home. I will sit out on the curb in my car with the windows down where everyone can see me and wait there until my wife gets home. Because I am determined to flee from anything that is not above reproach. Because I know the enemy wants to destroy me. I know that he does. So I'm going to read this passage of scripture, and I want you to know this is about the adulterous woman. But you better believe that there are some sleazy dudes out there. And so what I'm getting ready to read doesn't just apply to women. This applies to dudes too. For the lips of the immoral woman are as sweet as honey, and her mouth is full or smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave, for she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggered down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. So now, my sons and daughters, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from them. Don't go near the door of their house. If you do, you will lose your honor and you will lose to merciless people all that you have achieved. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Let me clarify. I'm not suggesting that you only be around people that are perfect. I'm not suggesting that because they don't exist. I'm also not saying that you shouldn't be people or friends with people that have major mistakes in their life. I hang out around people that aren't believers at all. I intentionally hang out around those people. It's important that Christians are salt and light to people who don't know Jesus. So I'm intentionally, but I don't do it without a wingman, and I won't do it if I feel like they're going to influence me negatively. The moment I feel like I could start changing and becoming like them is the moment I'm out. I'm done. But, but I do think it's important that you're around people that, that aren't perfect. That aren't even Christians. That are messed up. Because we need to be salt and light. Number two, when places entice you. There's going to be some places that entice you. There are some places that you should avoid. There's a lot of places where sin just occurs in those places and you should know better. But sometimes you just find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. I get that. I get that. And a lot of times you struggle because of the places that you put yourself in. That you knew better. Some examples. Walmart during Black Friday. You know better. (laughs) Like you know better. 
Because next thing you know, you're elbowing somebody in the face in the name of Jesus because you want that toaster. (laughs) You'll do whatever it takes to get it. You know better. Okay, but there's a lot more serious places. Uh, Some of y'all, you put yourself at home by yourself with TV channels and Netflix shows that you know are going to hurt your spirit. They're going to mess you up. And, 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 and here's the thing. You can put filters on that stuff. You can, you can create boundaries. But the truth is, you haven't been diligent about that. And it's just a setup. Sometimes you're, you're going to have a computer in, in, the, in the bonus room. Where you can easily go in there and be on that computer by yourself without anybody knowing what you're on there looking at. That is a place you should flee from. That is a place that you should not go to. You should not go to the doorstep of that place. You should flee from that. Some of you go on business trips where people have a few too many Coca-Colas with maybe some other stuff in the Coca-Cola. Now your guard's down and you're susceptible that is a place that you should flee from. That is a place that you should stay away from. And some of you say, well, you, but Pastor James, there's just, there's just situations where it's unavoidable. Bull. Bull. You're suggesting to me that God's grace, provision, and plan is not big enough to, to rearrange the situation to get you out of that place? I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. God loves you too much. And he promises that he's not going to put you in a situation that you can't withstand. He promises he's not going to do that. So you can get away. You can flee. Don't put yourself in a place of personal weakness and expect God's strength to show up. But too often, that's what happens. Like you're in the middle of, you're in the middle of it. And now you want God to show up and rescue you. You put yourself there. Come on now. Can he help you still? Yes. But it could be too late. It could be a lot of hurt. There's a story in the Bible of this man named Joseph, and the Bible says that he was well-built and handsome. Okay, so a lot of us can't relate. I get that. But the Bible says that that because of how good-looking he was, he was struggling with people trying to set him up. And so one day, he's serving this man named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife likes Joseph in an inappropriate way. Cougar alert, watch out, okay? So here's this lady, Potiphar's wife, and she's there. And this is the story. In Genesis Chapter 39, verse 11 says, One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Now, I will ask this question. I wonder if he knew that nobody was inside. Because if he knew that nobody was inside, that's not necessarily wise. Okay? But it says that no one is inside. And it says that Potiphar's wife caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak. Everybody say, Flee. He left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. In other words, she grabbed him and said, let's go, baby. Come on. Crazy cougar. Okay. And, and he's like, no, no, uh-uh, no way. And he stripped off 
He stripped off his cloak to get away from this chick. You have got to have that kind of hardwiring in your spirit for when sin presents itself at your doorstep. Like, I, am, I don't care what it takes. I, am, I will lay level anything around me, but I am getting away from this, whatever it takes. There's places where sin occurs and you've been put in awkward situations. And I get that. Sometimes you can't help it. But if you know something could be setting you up, just don't go there. Because if you go there, you're going to probably want to stay there. And then you're going to wind up being okay being there. And then you'll crave being there. And it can destroy you. Number three, when pleasure seduce you. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The pleasures, look, they are going to be fun for a season. But seasons change. Seasons change. Money and materialism can be sinful pleasure. Drugs and alcohol can be sinful pleasure. Fame, success can be sinful pleasure. Gossip and envy can be sinful pleasure. Sexual immorality is a sinful pleasure. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. So, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. So most of you, like when I read that, you're like, I'm good then. I don't have any gold statues at home that I'm worshiping. I'm good. Okay. So let's, let's look at the, the definition of idolatry. The act of worshiping an idol. Because anything can become an idol in your life. Because idolatry is just simply putting anything as a higher priority than your relationship with God. So guess what? I've committed idolatry. There have been times in my life when I've clearly put other things as more important than my personal relationship with God. Thankfully, it's only been for seasons, but there's been things in my life where I I put those as more important than something than God. Anything can become an idol. Look, I've known pastors that have made ministry an idol, that have made the things of God an idol, where ministry became more important than their marriage, where ministry became more important than their kids. I've also seen people make an idol of their marriage. I've also seen people make an idol of their kids. where their kids are a higher priority than their relationship with God. And, and this is a tricky one. Your marriage, it's like, well, God gave me this person. Yes, he did. He just never intended for them to be more important than him. He just never intended for you to find your dependency on them instead of him. He just never intended for you to find your identity, your fulfillment, or anything else in them instead of him. He never intended for that to happen. Never intended. In fact, the only way that you're ever going to be the person that God gave to them is by putting him first, by making him your number one, by falling in love with him every day. And out of the overflow of that, that's what breaks a healthy marriage. It doesn't happen any other way. It doesn't happen any other way. In James 4, 7, it says this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Submit yourselves then to God. Look, I promise you, if you will put God first, if you'll put God as your first priority, what you will do is you will hardwire your spirit to where you, when you encounter a situation that, you, that, that is, is a part of the enemy's plan to set you up, you will have that intuitive decision built inside of you to know it's time to flee. If you'll submit yourself to God, if you'll put him first as your first priority, so look, I know today, like, I can feel, anybody feel a little heavy in the room? Like, man, this message is like, oh my gosh, please tell another joke, Pastor James, quick. But have anybody been watching the news lately? Don't you think it's important that we live a life that is above reproach? Don't you think if, we want, if, if we're going to accomplish everything that God has for us to accomplish... We better be intentional and wise and spirit and biblically led and, and led in how we flee from sin. But it's got to start, it has to start with being totally submitted to his plan and purpose. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I want to give you a chance to do that today. Look, I, I believe that there's some of you, you're in the middle of a really tough spot right now. You're, you're, in, you're in the middle of sin. You're in there might be somebody in here, you, you're dabbling, you're dabbling, you're dabbling in an affair, you're dabbling in, in a substance, you're dabbling. And I believe that God's grace is here to meet with you today. He wants to rescue you, but the truth is this, you still have a choice to make. But I believe that there's some of you that you, you can't even begin to resist the enemy's plan because you have not completely submitted to God's plan. If you're here today and you haven't submitted to God's plan, in other words, you're away from God. You're away from God. You're at church, but you're not in relationship. And if you're here today and you're not in a relationship with God, I wanna give you a chance to have that to fully submit your life to him. If you're here and you're away from God, and maybe you're away from him, you were with him before, but, but you're, you've drifted away. And maybe you just need to rededicate your life to him. If you're either one of those people, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I promise this, if you will submit yourself to God's plan, he will give you everything you need to find a life and life to the full, but it'll also equip you to be able to flee and resist what the enemy will try to do in your life. And if you're here today and you're ready to surrender to him, nobody looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but if that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now in this room. And as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. You're ready to submit your life to God. Got it, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? I need a relationship with God today. I know that I'm away from him. I haven't fully submitted. Thank you guys. Yes, yes. Thank you guys. Yes. Thanks. I need a relationship with God. I'm ready to submit to him. I'm ready to give my life to him. Thanks, bro. Got it. Anybody else? Thank you. Got it. Father God, I thank you for those people that raise their hands. I thank you, God, that you're here to meet with them right where they're at. 
And I want to encourage you, if you raised your hand, I, this is not where it stops. The word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you can be saved. And so I want you to know that, that you can make a private decision, but your relationship with God was never meant to be private. It's meant to be very public. And so I want to encourage you, you need to tell somebody about this decision that you made. One of the best ways that you can let the body of Christ know that you're a Christ follower is by getting water baptized. And you'll have an opportunity to do that here in just a few weeks. But right there in your chair, just talk to God. Say, God, here's my life. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't save myself. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to die on the cross for my sin. And God, I know that I haven't been submitted to you. But right now today, in faith, I repent. I stop and I turn away from living the way I've been living. And I want to live according to your plan and to your purpose. So God, help me. Help me to understand your love for me. Help me to understand your plan and purpose. Help me to understand what your word speaks to my life. What it means to be connected to the body of Christ. And spirit of the living God, lead me. Help me. Help me. Today, I submit myself to your plan and to your purpose, God. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. Be my Lord. Be my Lord. Be my Lord. And I thank you that in that place, that no weapon that is formed against me will ever prosper in Jesus' name. And God, I declare that over our church. I declare that over the people that are even in the middle of the battle right now, that are in the middle of that place. It might have been by their own choice. It may have been that they just found themselves at the wrong place at the wrong time. Whatever the situation is, God, you're not surprised. And you've already developed and already devised the way for them to get out and get away. So I speak in the name of Jesus that no weapon formed against them will prosper. No weapon that even has been in action, no, no sin that has already been acted upon, that even those things will not prosper in Jesus' name. That you're going to set them up for a testimony. You're going to set them up for something where they can point to it and say, yes, I made that mistake. Yes, I was in that place, but I repented. I removed myself from it, and I felt the grace of God hit my life again, and I saw his plan and purpose come to fruition in my life again. And I'm going to stay in that place. I'm going to walk in that place. I thank you for that grace and mercy. God, I know that there's some people today that what they need more than anything is just to confess that that's where they're at and that's gonna be the first step to them fleeing the enemy's plan for their life. And then I pray, God, as our prayer team here in a little bit is down here at front, God, I pray in Jesus' name that there would be some people that would run to the altar to say, hey, I've been in that place. I can feel that temptation. I can feel that, that, that the enemy's plan trying to destroy my life, destroy God's plan, and I just need some prayer. I need some backup so that I don't fall any further or so I don't ever go to that place. I can feel it, and I need prayer. Moving our hearts moving our hearts, God, so we can do that with determination. I thank you for it. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your protection. We thank you, God, that you rescue us, that you're our strong tower that we can run to. Because the truth is, God, we're not just fleeing to nothing. We're fleeing to someone. We're fleeing to someone. God, we want to flee to you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Seven or eight people gave their life to Jesus. Let's give God some praise in this place. Amen. Amen.